What's up, everybody? Welcome to Giraffe Chaff. This is episode number 65. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Going pretty well. I'm having a pretty good Ashmouth Dragon. I, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm having a really nice uh, Ashmouth Dragon. Wait, sorry. Um, Something about Ashmouth Dragon. Uh, oh, wait. I, I just can't stop saying Ashmouth Dragon now after my <laughs> blunder in the Discord this past week. <laughs> Yeah, for those who aren't in the Discord and haven't heard of this blunder, there was a card hinted at by Mayro a while ago that was essentially there'd be a dragon egg in this set, and we were all kind of speculating on what that was and all that sort of stuff. Well, they released it when the spoilers came out, right? We we got to see what that was, and so I posted it in the Discord in this the MTG mid-spoilers channel, and I was like, hey, look, this dragon doesn't look like an Innistrad dragon. What's going on here? And Ben's like, well, you know, maybe it's from Ashmouth. They do tend to look different. And the card is literally <laughs> named Ashmouth Dragon. <laughs> it just means I know my lore. I just knew it was a hellish dragon. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't one of the pretty, like, Moonvale regions or something. I Look, the name of the card is the least important part of the magic card, right? That is true. It's frequently the last thing we, we memorize, yeah. And the first thing you forget from set to set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Name one card from M21. Uh, <laughs> planes. <laughs> okay, let's get into the ratings. <laughs> right, yeah, so this week is our Midnight Hunt format breakdown. We're going to be talking about all the archetypes in the format and what you can kind of expect to see out of all of those. Before we do, just some quick reminders. Of course, we do have the Discord. Check that out. The link is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you are interested in supporting the show, you can find us at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We have a bunch of different perks there, including our new Draft Doctor tier for all of our Squadron Hawk patrons, where we'll build a video surrounding a particular draft log you send us and kind of go through us walking through the draft. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We've got our first one in and being worked on, so getting that ready to go shortly. All right. And this week, because we are starting a brand new set, we're actually going to skip the Crack a Draft type thing because it typically doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to cover cards we are about to cover since we haven't talked about them yet, it's a whole thing. On to our Teferi table, and this is our Roses and Thorns style of segment for the show. We share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, what happened to you this week? Uh, let's see. I started teaching again, so that's been <laughs> a, a little bit of a life update. I'm about one week into the new school year. It's been pretty good. I've got some great students. They've been jumping right into it. I have some classes that, uh, I don't know, c- compared to... Last year, where everyone was sometimes dead silent over video call, everyone is back in person and perhaps a little louder than they should be. But honestly, I can't blame them. Like, some of these students haven't seen their friends in two years. Like, am I going to stop them from talking to each other? No, they, they barely get to socialize. So I'm, I'm taking it easy. We've just been doing a bunch of games the first week and, and getting to know you type stuff. And a little bit of content sprinkled throughout that I've been kind of tricking them into learning. <laughs> but anywho... Uh, it's it's been a good time. And also, I, I try to, to force myself to stick to this. With school picking back up, I'm trying to get back in the daily routine of working out every day, which I used to do, but kind of stopped doing over the summer for a while. Didn't exactly have the hot boy summer of my dreams. But now I'm getting back on it. And I, I, I think I'm going to stick with it as long as I physically can. We'll see how it goes. 
as far as Tybalt, I don't know. The school, it comes with problems, too. I have to start lesson planning again. Uh, every once in a while, things will just pop up. Like I got asked to to work at like one of these extra like after school activity things. And I was like, oh, I kind of have to say yes to it. But then it's my time I was going to do something else with. It's I can't really complain too much. I, I, I think um, uh, I'm, I'm a little low on Tybalt's this week. I think that's a good thing, right? I would say it is. Yeah. And plus, I, well, I have so much to look forward to this weekend. We're two headed giant drafting. Sorry, sealing. I mean, that that's just the best. Yeah, that's going to be great. The last time we did that was literally before the pan, like right before the pandemic. So, yeah, yeah, it's been quite a while. Anyway, uh, I'd ask what's new with you, but a listener that's been tracking might know that you're you're in a different space now than you were before. Yeah. So last week I mentioned that I was moving and I last week's episode might have been the last episode recorded in that space. And well, it, it is actually uh, I'm in the new space and it's not finished yet. I have my desk set up and my my nice new monitor and desk and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's been great, but I don't have the sound treatment up yet. So I'm curious to hear how this episode compares to the next episode because it'll be a, a distinct before and after with the sound treatment. Mm. So that'll be that'll be actually kind of cool. So super excited to have the new office and actually have an office and be out of my bedroom and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's actually quite nice. My table this week is, well, I'm in an old building. And so a lot of old construction is actually quite bad for internet, like Wi-Fi, because Wi-Fi signals don't permeate through things like brick very well. And the way that my apartment is set up, it's sort of an L shape. And so the router, which is in our living room, is at like the base of the L, and my office is at the very end of the stalk of the L. In between that, on a diagonal perspective, there's a brick wall. Actually, two brick walls. So, yeah, it doesn't work too well. I had to get a Wi-Fi extender, and hopefully that's going to be enough. It it does seem to be holding up all right right now, so hopefully that'll do it. Otherwise, I may need to go with a whole mesh for like a 500-square-foot apartment. It's not even that big, so that would suck because mesh mesh systems are not uh, very cheap. We'll see. To tack on to that, other Tybalt things, uh, work has been super stressful lately there's just a lot going on in this engagement's rolling down um getting to the end of it and a little bit behind still so hoping to pick that up in the next week or so and see if we can't make up some ground there and then also moving has been moving i mean it's been good to get out of the old place and into the new place but it's been taking a little bit longer than anticipated and we've had a lot more trips and little hiccups pop up that i wasn't really expecting so yeah that's fine i'll be excited when we're out of boxes and you know finally fully moved in yeah I was helping my brother move this past weekend too, and he he was kind of going through the same experience. It took him twice as long as he thought it would, and he's nowhere close to unpacked yet. But you know, it, it all gets done eventually, and I can confirm, having also moved recently, once you're kind of settled in your new space, it's just like ah, oh, nice. That's something to look forward to, you know. Definitely. All right, on to our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Gus WF in the Discord, and the question is: Since it's the season. What's your favorite horror movie, monster, and horror genre? Now, this is kind of like three great questions in one, right? It is. I don't even know where to start. Uh, as far as favorite horror movie, I would have to go with Midsommar. Absolutely love Midsommar. Everything about it, it's incredible. Just watch it. I, I barely want to talk about it, but I can also answer my favorite horror genre. I really like these slow plotting. It's kind of the anti jump scare movie. It's more like a a guttural feeling of like, oh man, like this, this is, oh, this is something. 
So a, a few movies that I can also say did that. Hereditary by the same director, whose name escapes me at this point. Maybe uh, Eraserhead, if that counts. I like David Lynch a lot. I, I would certainly count Eraserhead as a horror movie <laughs> at some points, although sometimes it's also a comedy. Favorite monster is a tough one, though. I don't know. How about you, Zach? What do I think? Okay, so favorite horror movie for me is actually Babadook, and I'll, I'll segue that into genre. I don't, I don't really know. This is actually going to sound hilarious because I actually took a course on horror film in college. Hmm. Um, I'm Sweet. a relatively avid moviegoer. I like film a lot, and in a different life, I was a cinematographer. I, I was on course to do that. If I didn't actually fall in love with programming, that's what I would have done in college. Hmm. So anyway, I took this course in college and it was all about horror movies. We watched all of the classics and then had to, our actual end of semester project was taking a trailer from, well, it was to make a trailer for a horror film. And what we did was we took the trailer for the movie Tag, which is not a horror film. I don't know if, oh, you're, if right. you've seen that. It's a comedy. That the, it's, yeah, that's that comedy where everyone is literally just playing Tag and it's a bunch of celebrities playing Tag, right? Exactly. We took the trailer of... Uh, we took a scene from that movie and turned it into a horror film trailer. And oh, it actually, wow. it actually was pretty cool. Um, I think I still have that on YouTube somewhere. Uh, maybe I'll have to link it in the episode description. Yeah, please do. But it, it was pretty interesting. Uh, it was a, it was a fun project, but anyway, so for me, I'm really particular about horror movies. I don't watch them very often. And if I'm going to watch them, they need to really satisfy one, one little thing for me. And that is the horror needs to be plot driven. Mm. It can't be, it can't be jump scary. It can't just be, random things thrown in there to make you like freak out for no reason like i like movies that are very plot driven that's why babadook is one that that i really really appreciate because it it explores sort of human fear and the way that you fear yourself in a lot of ways and and that sort of thing and it it really says a lot about your ability to like introspect and all that so i really appreciate that movie I think by extension, my favorite horror monster is the Babadook because it, you know, it just fits. Yeah. And then like a quiet place, which I guess technically is a thriller. It's not exactly a horror movie, but that's another one that like really hit home for me because in high school, when I was like really driven by film, one of my like grand ideas for like, if I go into film and what I'm going to do to make it big and like make a statement or whatever, was that I wanted to make a movie with zero dialogue. Mm. Not that like people... Not that it was like a silent film where like it would show text on screen and whatever, but just like that there was no written dialogue at all. And Quiet Place got pretty close to that. Yeah, yeah. It certainly saves you money on writing a script, right? <laughs> no, you st that's see, that's the thing. You have to write an even better script because you can't have any of your characters say anything. Uh, yeah, I guess that's an even more difficult to write script. Huh? I do want to shout out. I guess I want to call it internet horror. And I'm not talking about like unfriended or that kind of movie. Those are trash, uh, in my opinion. Not to bash anyone's favorite movie, but if it's unfriended, uh, I don't know. Defend it in the Discord. I, I'd like to see what you enjoy. Anyway, I'm talking specifically about things like, uh, I, I don't know if I should call it horror necessarily, but almost um, like absurdist thriller, nightmare, core. So let, let me just say some examples. Maybe something along the lines of what Connor O'Malley makes or what Brian David Gilbert sometimes puts up. The Adult Swim series of, a lot of people know Too Many Cooks. That's the, their like classic kind of like YouTube thriller thing. It, it's hilarious, but also has some, some nonsense in it, some horror nonsense. They have a, two others that are similar to it. 
One is called unedited footage of a bear. And the other is called there are people in this house. And both of them are fantastic little short films. And I would definitely consider them like scary horror in, in theme. They actually do have something to say. Uh, unlike a lot of horror movies, they have uh, very real statements about something. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes uh, to the extent that they accomplish that is up to uh, up to the point of view of the viewer. I love them, though. I, I looked it up, by the way. Ari Aster, that was the director of both Hereditary and uh, Midsommar. Fantastic. As far as favorite monster, I'm just going to go with Mothman because I think Mothman's kind of cool. <laughs> I don't even know if there's any movies with Mothman in it, <laughs> but uh, I'm a fan of this conceptual giant moth. It's pretty good. Although I, we have to shout out the Jersey Devil being New Jerseyans ourselves. We, we have our very own horror movie monster right here in our own state. Yeah, that's quote-unquote true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go uh, wander around in the Pine Barrens, and that'll take those quotes right out of you. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I also wanted to shout out Parasite, which mm. I guess borders on horror movie, but I think from certain angles, you could definitely call it a horror film, and that was another one that has... It's a statement piece and very much gets its point across, and I thought that was a phenomenal film, so... Why don't we just start a film podcast, too? <laughs> I would love to, dude. Not even joking. Like, I would totally love to. All right. We have to have a few more sign-offs. Did you see The Green Knight yet? Because I still have to see that. It looks awesome. No, I haven't. All right. Well, maybe we can find a, a morning showing before pre-release. <laughs> there you go. Uh, speaking of which, let's jump into our Midnight Hunt format breakdown. So we're going to chat about each of the big two-color archetypes, as we always do. And maybe toss in a bonus archetype along the way. For each of the sections, we're going to cover the two gold uncommons this time around. Uh, funnily enough, there's one creature and one spell for each archetype. And then maybe a handful of cards for each color, but two to three commons and uncommons that we think might be key to the archetype. At the end, we'll cover our picks for the top commons in each color. But before we do that, we want to jump into the mechanics, see what's actually going on in Innistrad this time. We got some old things, some new things. Why don't you kick us off? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's, oh, man. there's a big one here with this new day-night sort of iteration that they've worked on. And this was something that we've seen in previous Innistrad sets, but they've keyworded it and it's a little bit trickier. It's not exactly the same as it used to be. And so anyway, the there is this notion of day and night. And you'll see cards that care about it changing from day to night or from night to day or both. We also see cards with the keywords daybound and nightbound. Now, mm -hmm. those names in and of themselves are pretty confusing because day and night don't actually refer to which of the two that card makes it, if that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. So yeah. daybound doesn't make anything into day. Daybound refers to players casting zero cards on their turn, and then it becomes night. Uh-huh. So if it becomes day, though, and there was a nightbound permanent, it would flip, though, right? Yes. Because it can't, the, the way I, th I think it's going to work out better in practice. I think when it's day, all the stuff that's day bound or night bound is on the day side. And then when it's night, all the stuff that's night bound is on the night side. And I think yes. that's going to work out no matter what. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> if that's not how it works, I'd be pretty disappointed. Yes. But the, the mechanic itself doesn't make it either of the two. It just, yeah, I think that's actually a great way to, to think about it. The, the cards that say daybound on them are only on that side when it's day. The cards that say nightbound are only on that side when it's night. And then each of those keywords provide a method for making it the other. Mm -hmm. So daybound provides a way to make it night. 
if you cast zero cards on your turn, it becomes knight. And then knight, or knight bound in this case, will say uh, if a player casts two or more spells on their turn, then it becomes day. So a little bit finicky, but I think as Ben said, if you think about it that way, day bound cards are only on that face when it's day. Night bound cards are only on their face when it's night. And then the the casting, the number of cards you have to cast, it's either zero or two or more to mm-hmm. to get the those triggers to happen. So that's day night. It's a little bit tricky. It's a little finicky, but you'll see that on transform cards. And then again, you'll see cards that don't transform necessarily that care about it becoming day or night or both or either. Mm-hmm. So just a few thoughts on this mechanic. You're going to look for cheap stuff so that you can cast two things in a turn. I don't know. Think about how many lands you have in play on the average like turn four or five or six or seven when you might want to be doing some of this flipping back and forth. What, like five, six, seven? You're not going to have that many. You can't cast two five drops. So you're going to want some cheap cards, some expensive cards, um, and then look for things that you could put a little bit of mana into at first, then maybe more later. Also, mana sinks will be good for this uh, so that you could pass the turn and then cast something with flash or cast an instant or activate your activated ability so that you don't just you know waste an entire turn flipping your stuff into their usually better sides. Now, I guess we should probably add in here, there's other transform cards in the set too that flip for just totally unrelated reasons. So for example, yeah. Bereave Survive, that one just flips when something dies. And there's other things that, that happen like that. Delver of Secrets, for example. So there's other flip cards too, but the day-night ones are, uh, I think, the most prominent. Yeah, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben, but I, I'm pretty sure the day-bound, night-bound mechanics only show up on werewolves? I believe so, but look, to be honest, if we get this one wrong, we're not the highest profile <laughs> magic podcasters wow. to screw up day-night. <laughs> wow, shots fired, holy... <laughs> So I, I think we're probably in the clear on this one. That being said, I, I'm pretty sure it's just werewolves. Maybe there's a weird artifact or something that has it, but I haven't memorized the whole set yet. Yeah, and then so the the key thing that I take away from the day-night thing for this set is that sequencing is going to be far more important in this set than I think it has been for the past few sets. Obviously, it's always important, but I think in this set in particular, it's going to be quite a bit more important. So you know, keep that in mind. As Ben said, keep keep an eye on your curves pay attention to when you're going to be able to cast spells in the same turns. You're going to want to think a little bit ahead. It's a, you know, a little chess-like in that way. You're going to want to think, well, in two turns, I need to turn, I need it to be night or I need it to go back to day or something like that. And then you're going to have to try to set up so you know that you don't have to cast or you can cast multiple cards at a time. Next up, we've got flashback. This is an old favorite. Just means you can cast cards from their graveyard for a flashback cost. Whether they get there because you cast them once already or you milled them, or you looted them away, or however they got in the graveyard, is a fun mechanic. Because it's kind of you know intrinsic card advantage, right? A card that says, uh, draw a card, and that has flashback for one of the blue, that's a natural two for one. I just, uh, I, obviously that's a blue card. I wasn't going to say that's a white card, although that would have been a pretty good joke. <laughs> this has intrinsic card advantage in that you can cast it once for its front half, then again for its back half. So while sometimes you can loot it away, or get it in the graveyard incidentally through self-mill, um, you know, to get the most out of it, you kind of want to cast it twice. But if you are doing something like looting anyway, uh, you can use this to your advantage and just toss something in a graveyard so you can cast it from there. Also, I I can think of a white card, by the way, that fits that bill that you just explained. It does need a little bit of tweaking, but uh-huh. the white version of the card you just explained would be one and a white target opponent draws a card with flashback one and a white and then the, the rest of the text on the card will say if this was cast for its flashback cost you draw a card 
I think that that could actually be printed. It, it wouldn't even shock me. And you know what? I would probably try to play it. Of course, you, you know what I say. The best way to break the symmetry is by being a better player than your opponent, <laughs> making a making a better deck. There you go. And kind of to go on with flashback here, we have another another mechanic in this format that's relatively similar, and it's called Disturb. Disturb says you may cast this card from your graveyard transformed for its Disturb cost. So, hope you caught that. The key difference here is that when you cast Disturb cards for their Disturb cost, they come back transformed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, kind of an auto-transform cast. Sort of turns all the transform cards with dis- or sort of turns all the Disturb cards into MDFCs, but you can only use the one half in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And notably, the back of all of them has the same exact line of text, and it reads, uh, if this would be put into the graveyard, exile it instead. So no matter what, when it leaves the, the battlefield, uh, besides getting bounced to your hand, that does work. Uh, but if it would die, it's gone. So you can't just loop these things forever from your graveyard. Next up is Coven. This checks for creatures with three different powers at various points. I guess it's kind of like some witches gathering around the bonfire to have a nice little coven party. The lore explains all of it. I recommend reading. It's actually pretty good this time around. And it checks for coven at different points. Sometimes it's on the cast of the spell, but other times it might be when you activate an ability or at a different phase. But this means that when you're taking cards, you want to try to get a good mix of powers and toughnesses. Now, this tends to be with white and green cards, so just keep an eye out for weird powers and toughnesses. There's a handful of zero power cards, and I guess look for zero power, one power, two power, three power, and make sure you have enough to trigger coven if you have some good payoffs. All right, and then our last major mechanic for Midnight Hunt here is Decayed. And Decayed is an ability on zombie tokens in the set. It's essentially a, a zombie token, um, and there are cards that give other cards Decayed in the commander sets, but I think for the majority or the entirety of the draft format, Decayed is a zombie token that's a 2-2, and it can't block, and after it attacks, sacrifice it. We do have another small mechanic which is not one of the main mechanics in the set, but it is printed on five total cards in the set, and that is Investigate, and that comes from Shadows over Innistrad. Um, And essentially, these cards create clues for whatever reason. Investigate is short wording for make a clue token. You know what? I have to correct myself. I I sold you on the river a little bit here. Gisa, Glorious Resurrector, does bring stuff from your opponent's side of the battlefield if it would die onto yours, and the the stuff gains Decayed. That's all. So there's one way to get other stuff with Decayed. All right, well, why don't we just jump right into our archetypes here. Now, we did something a little fun with our archetype names this time around, see if you can figure it out. But this first one is white-blue, and this archetype is The Conjuring. And our first gold card here for white-blue is Devoted Graphkeeper. This is white-blue for a 2-1 human peasant at Uncommon. And it says, when Devoted Graphkeeper enters the battlefield, mill two cards. Whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard... Tap target creature you don't control, and it has Disturb for one white blue. Wow, there's a lot going on for this two drop. Yeah. And I'm not even done. (laughs) It has a whole (laughs) other half too, right? Uh, I mean, first of all, the natural little self-mill. We're already getting a pretty good idea of the vector of this card. It's going to want to put a few more things in the graveyard. White blue seems like it's going to care about flashing stuff back, or in particular, Disturb. What's going on on the back of this card? Yes, the back half is Departed Soul Keeper. And by the way, the art on this card is phenomenal. You're going to hear me say that a lot because I love the way that Innistrad spirits are handled in the art. But it's it's like this dude, this graph keeper, just riding the back of one of the, the beautiful Sigarda Griffins. Anyway, Departed Soul Keeper is a spirit. It's a 3-1 instead of a 2-1. And it has flying. It can only block creatures with flying. 
And if departed soul keeper would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. The, the typical disturb line that you'll see. So this is a two mana two one, and then also a three mana three one flyer. That's just you're putting that in all your decks, no matter what, right? It's a two mana two one that enables your main vector path, I suppose. Mm-hmm. because it, it mills for you. And then it's also another payoff for the other vector path when you're trying to cast stuff. After you've milled those cards, you're trying to cast them again. And yeah, this card just seems phenomenal. I'm I'm really, really excited for this. I mean, it is a 2-1, so it dies to a lot of stuff, but I don't expect you to frequently block with this or whatever. And if you do, you can still cast it. So it works great with multiple copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is an annoying little card. I mean, imagine you uh, you mill over a, another copy of it. Just turn three, you flash back your second one and just start beating down. I mean, this oh, thing, yeah. uh, it's annoying on the front half because I expect blue-white to be able to do a good amount of flashing back and disturbing. So I guess we'll be conjuring up all sorts of spirits and geists from, from this archetype. What's our, our second uncommon here? Yeah, so this is Faithful Mending. This is white and a blue for an instant at uncommon. And it says you gain two life, draw two cards, and then discard two cards. And it has flashback for one white-blue. Yeah, it seems like a constructed plant. This seems to have a good amount of graveyard interaction and, you know, vectoring, I guess we could say. So e- even though this one might not be as good, this is intrinsic card disadvantage unless you're willing to pay a card to gain two life. Not not really, uh, you know. Yeah, although the art on this card is, again, phenomenal. So <laughs> gets a small pass for that. It is a, a bit of a callback to Faithless Looting, Faithful Mending, uh, and the art does kind of show them fixing the stuff that was broken in Faithless Looting. So I, I noticed as I was going through this, removal is a little bit light this time around. And actually, we can say that for sure because we kind of look through every card in the set. So this time around, for the first time ever, you can expect to find your official draft chaff ratings integrated into Card Sphere. So if you're going to use the Card Sphere Draft Simulator, well, we contributed to that. And uh, perhaps our ratings might even be going up in, in other shapes or forms. We'll, we'll have to see. Anyway, it should be helpful for the, the beginnings of the format. So that means we've looked at every card in the set. Blue-white removal is a little bit lacking this time around. But I think this archetype might be able to make up for it by the fact that it has a lot of intrinsic two-for-ones. So I don't want to call it like a value deck, but if you're playing a bunch of Disturb and Flashback cards, you're naturally getting card advantage, and that means you can naturally out one-for-one one an opponent that's just trying to bolt all your stuff. Yeah, I, I think the play pattern that we're going to expect to see with this archetype in particular is your blue-white player is going to essentially be spinning their wheels, playing all these cards, replaying them from their graveyard, and you're going to be trying to deal with... This is a perfect situation where you're trying to deal with their threats and you just don't have enough removal for all their threats because all their threats come back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I'm actually really excited for this. We haven't seen like a really solid blue-white deck in a while, and I'm excited for this. It's been a long time since I've gotten to draft it, and I'm ready. I'm ready for a good, controly mill, just spin-the-wheels blue-white mm-hmm. deck with zero win conditions and just outvalue your opponent. I'm ready. Well, I have good news. There's a, a card, uh, I think it's called like Bury the Evidence or something like that. It's two blue-blue, counter-target spell, if it would be counted this way, exile instead, and then shuffle up to four target cards from your graveyard back in your library. It's just like the one from the, the last uh, Radnica set, the one where you could like do the, the guild gate control and just you know loop your whole deck over and over again with enhanced surveillance and all that nonsense. I don't know, if there's going to be a deck that could do it, it's probably blue-white, right? I would think so. Let's take a look at some of these other cards. Uh, We've got a few commons and uncommons here in blue and white. 
Our first one here is Shipwreck Sifters. This is one in a blue for a 1-2 spirit at common. When it ETBs, draw a card, then discard a card. And whenever you discard a spirit card or a card with Disturb, put a plus one, plus one counter on Shipwreck Sifters. So... At its base, this is a two-mana 1-2 that draws a card. Well, it doesn't put you up a card, but it, it, it does the rummage thing. Mm -hmm. So really, it's a two-mana 2-3 two, mm -hmm. if you can discard a spirit or a disturb card. So yeah. it's a nice little self-package self here. It, it enables itself, and then it just sticks around with that effect. Anytime you, dis you can discard a spirit or, or a card with disturb, you're going to get those counters. So Just a note, you don't always necessarily want to discard your stuff. Like if you have yep. your only spirit in hand and it's a it's your three drop, then you might not want to loot it away to this uh, if you're planning on just casting it next turn anyway. But a two mana two three is good. This can be that, and it can just grow. I mean, this is whenever you discard a spirit or a card with disturb. There's not a lot of discard, but there's some other ways to loot and rummage in this set, especially in like blue red. I can see you doing some some wacky stuff with this. I can see it getting a few counters over the course of the game. Yeah, and I think the key here is you really don't particularly care about discarding your spirits what you care about discarding if you're going to discard something is stuff with disturb because you're going to get those back then you're not really going down a card in in that sort of sense you're kind of going up a card here at least because this one draws you a card but yeah like discarding departed soul keeper or our signpost here then you're just discarding and essentially drawing yourself a three mana three one flying that's fine <laughs> you you right. would do that every time and then this thing is a, a little two three into a three one flyer a really solid start yeah absolutely next up is overwhelmed archivist this is two and a blue for a three two human wizard at uncommon when it enters the battlefield draw a card then discard a card and it has disturb for three and a blue so i i expect we're kind of going to see this line a handful of times <laughs> etb draw a card discard a card this one mm. having disturb is a little bit nice because it also can be pitched to cards like this um you could pitch this to shipwreck sifters and it'd totally be fine you can cast it back for the Disturb. And on the other side, you have Archive Haunt. This is a Spirit Wizard. It's a 2-1 with flying. When it attacks, draw a card, then discard a card. And it has the Disturb line of exiling it if it would go into a graveyard from anywhere. So it's a little bit overcosted on the back. But the fact that you're getting a 3-mana three 3-2 three with upside and then a 4-mana 2-1 flyer with upside, <laughs> like you can't complain too much, right? Yeah, it's interesting to kind of gauge that. I think what, what a card like Overwhelmed Archivist is going to be nice for is, you know, it's a 3-2 that filters your deck a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you can like trade it up for one, like an X3 that they spent four mana on or something. And then later in the game, they might have a random flyer that you don't know how to deal with. And then you're suddenly like, well, I don't have anything else to put, spend my mana on. Here's a 2-1. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can just you can just cast these things later when you're kind of in a pinch or you want to push some extra aggression. I think it'll be fine. It is a little overcosted. You don't really want to spend four mana for a two one flyer, but it is a repeatable way to do this rummage loot thing. So, yeah, that might have its value. Next up is Beloved Beggar. I love this card, uh, not just because it looks like me in 60 years. Uh, this is one of the white for a zero four human peasant at uncommon. And that's it. It has Disturb for White White. So this is just a 2-mana 0-4. Now, I don't know. This seems like a pretty big roadblock for some of the more uh, aggressive Coven decks. Or maybe even the Werewolf decks that this could maybe soak up an attack or two. If this thing gains you 4-8 life, that's pretty good for 2-mana. Uh, and then the backside. So again, 6-mana to Disturb it. And you get a 4-4 Flying Vigilance with the Exile Clause. 
Yeah, the, this thing is sick. I think this really fits into what we're seeing from this blue-white deck here, which is it can kind of stall out early, can kind of provide some roadblocks, and then turn the corner in the late game and just take over with these big things. Same thing kind of went for Shipwreck Scepters, right? That thing has the potential to grow bigger into the late game, and the Archivist can kind of help keep you filtered and getting there. Or you could just like loot this thing away. Who cares? I mean, if you don't need the the two mana O for it, this deck has ways of just looting away cards. Yeah, this is also one you're totally fine to mill over. Mm -hmm. Our last white card here is Morning Patrol. This is two and a white for a two three human soldier at common. It has vigilance, so it's a three mana two three vigilance. But it also has disturb for three and a white. And the backside is a two one with flying and vigilance. It's also the front runner for my favorite flavor text and flavor on a card in the set. I mean, just look at this thing. The guy passes away, but now his dog can still see him. Oh, my God. <laughs> so good. Anyway, this is kind of the common signpost, if you will, for the archetype. I noticed there's like a kind of like a common that goes really well for each of the big themes. This is your common white disturbed creature. There's a common red werewolf. There's a common black vampire, whatever. Like they all kind of have a thing that does the thing. And this is the common that does the thing. Uh, you'll play them when you can get them. They're not fantastic, but hey, this is intrinsic card advantage again. Like these are both slightly mediocre cards, but the fact that you get them stapled together and that occasionally you get to kind of draw one when you self mill or loot something away, it's good. Next up is Blue Black, which I've titled Train to Busan, one of my favorite, I guess, zombie movies. And I, I'm not excited for the American remake. They shouldn't touch the original. It, it's nearly flawless. Uh, we've got up first Blade Stitched Scab. This is Blue Black for a 2-3 zombie soldier, and it says other zombies you control get plus one plus zero. Now, at first, that might seem a little weird that they get plus one plus zero, but it's because most of the zombies in the set are decayed. They're the two twos with decay. doesn't really matter how much toughness they have, does it? <laughs> they're, they're turning sideways and they're not blocking. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. They don't really care about the toughness. It's kind of funny that they're even two twos in the first place, but I guess that's for like minus effects. Next up is Corpse Cobble. That's blue black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice any number of creatures. You create an XX blue and black zombie creature token with Menace, where X is the total power of the sacrificed creatures. And that has flashback for three blue-black. I'm a little lower on this, but I don't know. I can see a scenario where you swing with six power of decayed stuff, and then you get a six-six. Three zombies? That's not too hard, right? Yeah, I would think I would think so. That seems pretty reasonable. So the joke of this card is that it's an instant. So you you cast this with the, the decayed trigger on the stack. So right. the zombies all swing in, maybe they trade, maybe they get eaten, maybe one gets through. And then as they're all about to go away, you cast this and you kind of get one big zombie. You kind of group them all up together. You roll them into one big zombie ball before they have the chance to leave the battlefield. Yeah, this seems good. Uh, this is very clearly zombie tribal. I mean, we have an, a literal lord. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of zombies in blue and black. Now, this is definitely the best home for decayed tokens. So I think the best use of decayed tokens is turning them into a card. And that's kind of weird because they often come attached to these other random little things as, as kind of bonuses. One's tacked onto a counter spell, one's tacked on to like a 2-2 two -two flyer. They're all over the place. So I think if you can essentially make these into a card, I don't know, make them have three power or have them lose all their abilities thanks to one of the rares or sacrifice them to an effect, they're essentially functioning like a card. And I think that will be the best way to make them, I don't know, work. 
Because just swinging in for two damage, you can just take it. Uh, smart opponents will just take the damage because they know that their life total is a resource. So don't be surprised if, I don't know, they take a bunch of damage and then stabilize. So I think uh, Eaten Alive is going to be the, the big black removal spell for this deck. But there's a big trifecta of black removal spells at common. And the, I'm not really sure what the best one's going to be. But I have a feeling Eaten Alive is going to be very strong in this. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Let's start off with our first common, Ecstatic Awakener. It's black for a 1-1 human wizard at common. It has pay two and a black, sacrifice another creature, draw a card, then transform Ecstatic Awakener, activate only once each turn. The backside is a 4-4 demon. So this obviously plays pretty well with decayed tokens, you know, and th this is kind of making a decayed token into a card. In another set, you might have to sacrifice your two mana 2-2 two, two to this guy, in which case, not that good. But if you have a random token laying around, you're essentially getting a 4 mana 4-4 four, four, and you draw a card. That's good. Yeah, I'm curious. Am I missing something here? I, I wonder why they put the activate only once each turn thing. I guess you could activate it while it's on the stack before, before it transforms is my guess. That's probably why they did that. Because really, the mm. way this is worded, you can only use this effect one time. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole transforming twice thing would be a little weird. Yeah, they probably just wanted to avoid that from, from being a thing. Next up is Diagraph Horde. This is four and a black for a three for a zombie. But when it enters the battlefield, create two, two, two black zombie creature tokens with Decayed. And when you do, exile up to two target cards from graveyards. So uh, sorry to the disturbed stuff in the blue-white deck. This thing can just come and eat those and then bring along two friends. I mean, I'm not going to say it's Grave Titan, but uh, <laughs> it, it does a, a nice impression. For sure, so does the art. It does, actually. This thing is uh, disgusting. Anyway, th this makes three zombies, which I think could be pretty big for the zombie tribal deck. I mean, think of this with Blades this scab. Now you're getting plus three power off of the scab. The more zombies you have, the better it is. Uh, this, uh, again, you know, just fuels your zombie generator machine so that the wheels can start ticking and, and you can get uh, pretty deep into the vector there. Next up, we have Falcon Abomination. This is two and a blue for a 2-2 zombie bird at common. It has flying, and when it enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 black zombie creature with decayed. Okay, so it's a 3-mana 2-2 flyer that also gives you another 2-2. I'll be honest, I can't get past the art. It's <laughs> just like... It is jarring. <laughs> it's a little weird. I, this is something. It's an abomination for sure. How did that? How does something like that even happen? Like, I, I, I have I don't know. questions about where this thing came from. Is this the... Because we know there's stitchers on an Estrad. Did someone stitch this? Sure. It had, yeah, they had must. Be. Have, I mean, right? you can even see, you can literally see the seam where the neck meets the bird's body. Uh, uh yeah, you're right, you're right. Okay, this is just <laughs> this is just dumb. I love it, and the flavor text is also uh, <laughs> it's too good. Yeah, I mean, we saw something very similar in what was it, War of the Spark, where we had a three mana two two flyer, the end of the battlefield, and a masked one, and that was kind of like making a little one one token. Question is, is this better or worse than that? I want to say worse. I'm inclined to say worse as well. I mean, these tokens can't block and you only get to attack with them once. So like you mm -hmm. said, you really need to have a different way to use it if you want it to be worth a card and really get your mana worth out of it. I don't know. I mean, a, a three mana 2-2 two -two flyer, are you playing that by itself? Probably. It's it's close. Yeah, like if you have no ways to make use of that zombie token, if you have no good way, there's an, an instant in the set. It's like four mana in blue. Sack a creature, draw three cards. So like if, if you have one copy of that, then you're probably much more happy to play the Falcon Abomination. But if you have nothing like that, if you have no ways to sack creatures or no ways to make any kind of use of this, 
don't know. It's probably not the best, but hey, it's a three mana two two flyer. It'll attack in the air. It's probably fine, right? The way I'm trying to think of it is, if you had a card that was a, you had a three mana two two flyer that got plus two plus so for the first time it attacks, like you'd still probably play that, and and be yeah. fine with it. Yeah, I suppose. This is probably better than that. So next up is Scob Wrangler. Now this is one of those payoffs I was talking about. One in a blue for a two one human wizard at uncommon. Tap three untapped creatures you control, tap target creature. So this is kind of a go wide payoff. If you can make a ton of these zombies, you can just start tapping down one, two of your opponent's things, whether it's on their attack step or on their end step, letting you get in for a big attack. Uh, I like this. I think this could make the zombies work. Yeah, this is one of those cards that should really clue us into what this deck is trying to do and what vector this card in particular is aiming to meet. Because this... Three creatures is not a small amount of creatures, and oh, this yeah. is an uncommon, uh-huh. which yeah. tells me they're gonna be everywhere. And we've seen this a rare or a different un. We've seen, I think it was a different uncommon that we might get to with green that had one that I said something similar on a previous show. That like this card tells me these things are gonna be everywhere. So keep an eye on that. I think there's gonna be a lot of ways to make these two twos decayed zombies. And again, this kind of goes the other way around. If you have no ways of making decayed zombies, I don't know, maybe in like a weird blue red deck or something, you probably don't want this. Because yeah. if you're in any other normal set, this just wouldn't be very playable. You're never tapping three creatures. I mean, you'd have to just kind of be sitting back behind this thing the whole time. It would have marginal upside, but this is much better if you're going wide. So I guess we're going to see a lot of zombies. Train in Busan, here it comes. <laughs> One little piece to, to tack onto that is typically this effect, you know, if you're tapping just any random three creatures, actual creatures, you're going down three blockers to put your opponent down one attacker. Yeah. Typically, yeah. that's not a trade that's worth it. Sometimes you're tapping down a creature that has some sort of tap effect that they can't pay for at the time and you're actually getting away with something. But yeah, you're usually going down on the, the attack block thing. If you're tapping down your your tokens here, they can't block in the first place. So yeah, convenient. It kind of let it kind of lets them block. It's in a weird way. All right, next up here we've got our black red archetype, and this is one we're calling "What We Do in the Shadows." Great show, fantastic. Or or maybe maybe Twilight. That's great, <laughs> but still pretty funny. Our uncommon here is Vampire Socialite. This is black red for a two two vampire noble at uncommon. It has menace. You can stop there. I'm already. I'm. I'm done. I'm playing it. <laughs> but keep going. Two mana, two two with menace. We've got a lot more text to read here. Uh, when vampire socialite enters the battlefield, if an opponent lost life this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on each other vampire you control. As long as an opponent lost life this turn, each other vampire you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. Wow. So I loved Kalane in AFR, and this is sometimes just going to play better than Kalane. Okay, minus the ramp, minus the ability to dump like four counters on something, but this is going to spread the love a little bit more. Plus, it's a two mana, two, two menace. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's good. You'd play this in a deck with no vampires, right? Yeah, you would. This is a card, though, that like tells a story in and of itself, because I was reading this. I was like, two mana, two, two with menace. Okay, I'll totally play that. Wait, there's more text. ETBs put the counters on the things. Oh, that's cool, but like, how many creatures am I going to already have on the battlefield at, with two mana? Oh, and uh -huh. then we get to this last bit, and it's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you're getting the value no matter what. And I think one of the keys here, it seems like vampires are going to be able to reliably get that damage in every turn. And especially when we get to the commons, you'll see uh, that there's some really effective ways of doing it. 
Yeah, so our, our second multicolor uncommon here for black red is Hungry for More. This is black and a red for and sorcery at uncommon. And it says create a 3-1 black and red vampire creature token with trample, lifelink, and haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. And this card has flashback for one black red. Okay, all right, I see you. It's a beefy attacker, trample, lifelink, haste. It's doing all the things. It's going to get that point of damage in because it's got the trample. Mm-hmm. And you can do this twice. And I, the first one is pretty pretty fairly priced, I'd say. A two, uh, you know, two mana for that is pretty solid. And uh, I'm not really disappointed to pay three for it either. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the key. Sometimes you'll read a card like this and say, well, it's bad because I have to sacrifice it at the next end step, right? If they're dead at the next end step, it doesn't matter if it's going away. I, I think this card is going to be pretty solid, especially because you can flash it back. I don't know, like some games, you'll just be really happy doing this on turn two and then on turn three. Like, what are they doing? Making a 2-2 that can't block? <laughs> like, uh, every once in a while, this will just swing for, tw- what, 12 life? Yeah, and then, you know, if you happen to have that vampire socialite out already and manage to deal damage in a way that wasn't combat, you can get in as with four power with this thing this seems pretty solid and then if you have any other sacrifice effects that you can use before this thing goes on the stack you're getting extra value out of it so yeah i i really like that this card seems pretty solid yep i'm in uh, it's also a good way potentially in the late game the the board is kind of stalled out but it's a smaller board a 3-1 trample could easily spill over and get that damage through to trigger all your vampire like lose life uh, abilities Exactly. Speaking of ways to do that, our first black card here is Vampire Interloper. This is one in a black for a 2-1 Vampire Scout at common. It has flying and it can't block. Wonder what you're supposed to do with this thing. (laughs) Turn it sideways on turn three and then every turn after, right? This is nuts. I mean, what? (laughs) Like, what? what, if you just draft five of these, don't you just win every game? How, How is this not? Feels like it. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously flyers that can block it eventually. But some games, your opponent's just going to have to kill this. And it was your two drop. Like, this is really good. You're never blocking with this anyway. And this is always going to make sure you trigger to get your, like, vampire lose life triggers in. There's uh, some cards that are really good at doing that. There's a red one as well. Uh, It doesn't fly, but when it attacks, it pings your opponent. I think those two drops are going to be pretty crucial for setting up your later vampires that have with an opponent lost life this turn. And for those that might not have been around on the Innistrad before, this has always been a vampire ability. They like, you know, sucking a little bit of blood and then coming back for more later. So they just deal a little bit of damage and then they get big rewards from it. Next up, we've got Stromkirk Blood Thief. This is two and a black for a 2-2. It's actually one of those very payoffs I was talking about. And don't don't get tricked here. The art kind of looks like it's flying, but I guess it's just very acrobatic. It's a vampire rogue at Uncommon. At the beginning of your end step, if an opponent lost life this turn, Put a plus one plus one counter on target vampire you control. I don't know, dude. If you go vampire interloper into Stromkirk Blood Thief, like that's just game over, right? Yeah, kind of feels that way. Our first red card here is Voldaren Stinger. This is red for a vampire warrior at common. It's a one one and it has first strike as long as it's attacking. And then it also has an activated ability for two and a red. It gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. Mm. So we, we've seen this before. This is kind of like your... Um, the pup from Kaldheim, right? It's just a cheap creature that you can pump, and sometimes it's getting first strike. This one's getting first strike anytime it's attacking, which is is pretty solid. And then you know the ability to buff it up like that is is also quite good. So this should help at least demoralize your opponent into maybe not blocking because 
threat of activation here is huge and all you need to do for the vampire stuff is get in for that one point so yeah. there's a strong chance with it having first strike when it's attacking and you having some open mana they're not going to block this this pairs really well with uh, damage based removal spells or other combat tricks it kind of has one just built into it right with the pump ability three power first strike is no joke that can attack through quite a bit of of the average format so I think a turn one Valdaren Stinger is really going to indicate you're you're ready to go. You're ready to start getting those little life loss triggers. And if this thing gets in for like three, four, or five damage over the course of the game, put in some good work. Yep. Our next red common here is Famished Foragers. This is three and a red for a 4-3 vampire at common. It says when Famished Foragers enters the battlefield, if an opponent lost life this turn, add red, red, red. And then you can pay two and a red and discard a card to draw a card. Yeah, all right. I mean, this just gives you seven mana on turn four. So four drop, three drop sounds like a great way to spend your turn four. Yeah, this is a, a good common payoff. I mean, look at this. Even just Voldaren Stinger and Famished Foragers. I, I really like this vampire deck. Uh, and then even if you don't have anything to do, if you have like a random land in your hand. Now, just a note, this is a reason to potentially not play out that last land if you have one of these in your deck. Usually you do want to play out that last land, but every once in a while, if you have a rummager like this and you have to have a, disc a card to discard, leave that last land in your hand so that when you top deck your Famished Foragers, you don't regret playing the land the previous turn. And our last red card here is Neonate's Rush. This is two and a red for an instant at common. The spell costs one less to cast if you control a vampire. And Neonate's Rush deals one damage to target creature, and one damage to its controller, draw a card. So this is a, a nice little way to turn on that loss of life effect. And it does get a little bit cheaper if you happen to control a vampire, which you do if you care about this effect at all. So is two mana worth it for two mana and a card, I guess. It does replace itself. So, uh, you know, it's two mana for a, like to ping your opponent for one, which seems pretty mediocre. But when it's also buffing your entire team, it's probably worth playing. Yeah, I think uh, there'll be enough X1s in this format that you'll occasionally want to just, I don't know, if your opponent has their own vampire interloper, you're going to feel really good with your Neonite's Russian hand, right? Getting the, a clean two for one off that. And then also potentially dealing the damage to trigger your own vampire stuff. I think the blue-red deck is also going to fight over this because it's kind of like a spell-slingery, can-trippy, instant-speed draw card things to pump your creatures. So, you know, you can probably get these late. I don't think red-green's going to want this. I don't think red-white's going to want this. So you'll probably be able to pick this up if your deck needs it. Yeah, this is pretty particular to this, this uh, archetype, it seems, vector-wise. Next up, we've got red-green, or as we're calling it, the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, or potentially also Twilight. First up, we've got Kessig Naturalist. This is red-green for a 2-2 human werewolf. When it attacks, add red or green. Until end of turn, you don't lose mana as steps and phases end. And it's daybound. It's a 2-2. Now, what do you think of this, uh, this front half here? Yeah, so 2-mana two 2-2. Two -two. Well, already it's not quite holding up to our uh, socialite, but it does ramp you a bit. It's nice that it also fixes colors. I mean, it's a two-drop, but it's also multicolored, so you probably already have your color fixing out of the way by the time you're casting this. It seems a little lackluster to me. I mean, we'll see how much the ramp actually matters, but given some of these other cards and how pushed they are with like the thing, I'm a guessing that this archetype cares a bit about getting extra mana out there, but we'll see. I mean, this is very clearly the werewolf format or the werewolf vector archetype, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe that mana is going to be put to good use. I have noticed that there's a good number of two threes in the format, especially for three. And clearly those are designed to jump in front of the zombie tokens that are running all over the place. 
So, I mean, it would feel pretty bad to have to slam this into a 2-3 to get your mana off of it. That is not worth the card at all. But the back half has a little more going for it. The back half is Lord of the Olvenwald. It's a 3-3 werewolf. And it says other wolves and werewolves you control get plus one, plus one. And then also when it attacks, add red or green. Until in a turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. And it's nightbound. That is a, a cool okay. little lord there. Sure. Yeah, now now we're talking. In the werewolf archetype, in the deck that cares about werewolves, the werewolf lord is probably going to be one of your better cards. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Now, there's also a weird little lord sorcery, kind of. Uh, it's Unnatural Moonrise. This is red-green for a sorcery, uncommon. It becomes night. I love that. What a, what a succinct little flavor win there. It becomes night. Awesome. Until end of turn, target creature gets plus one, plus oh, gains trample, and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. It also has flashback for two red green. So this guarantees that all your stuff is on night. For those that haven't played with werewolves before, the werewolf side tends to be a little bit beefier than the human side and usually has uh, maybe an extra ability or maybe if it has ward one on the back, on the front, it has ward three on the back. I think that's actually one of our uncommons in this set. So it being night is pretty good for your werewolves. They're naturally stronger than, of course, or your were rabbits, depending on... If you're from England or not. Anyway, uh, it, it has natural card advantage in red-green, right? Like, this in itself is a two-for-one, and then it has the potential to draw cards off of it. Plus, it's kind of like a pump spell. I love it. Yeah, and I think there's actually something here that's... We didn't highlight quite as much as we probably should have when we talked about the mechanics, but the daybound nightbound thing happens on the next turn. So if I have a card that says daybound, and I cast no spells... When I pass the turn, it becomes night, not immediately. So this makes it night right away. So it flips all your stuff, and then you can swing in with the stuff that you just flipped. There's no delay on this one. So that, I think that's going to be huge. That's something that is probably going to uh, catch some people by surprise. Our first uncommon here, uh, we've got Fangblade Brigand. This is three and a red for a 3-4 human werewolf at uncommon. It has daybound, and it has an activated ability, one and a red, it gets plus one, plus O, oh, and gains first strike. Yeah, nice. Sure. A little bit weird to see the first strike thing tacked onto an effect that you can do repeatedly just because it doesn't matter. But yeah, otherwise it's it turns into like a baby fire breathing. Well, you can give it first strike, and then you can give it firster strike, and then first is uh. strike. Uh, and then then uh, if it has first is strike, it'll deal uh, first strike damage before another first striker, right? So our next card here. No, read the back. Read the back. It gets better. All right, all right. The back is Fangblade Eviscerator. This is a 4-5, so from a 3-4 up to a 4-5. It has one or red. Fangblade Eviscerator gets plus one, plus oh, and gains first strike until end of turn. Okay, we, we've seen this before. But it also has another activated ability of four and a red. Creatures you control get plus two, plus oh, until end of turn. Okay, all right. We'll just, just go wide, beef up the, all the werewolves. I like it. Yeah, that is a scary activated ability. I mean, how do you block? If if they, if this thing is out, you can try to set up blocks, but they just they're not going to work. Like the, anything on this side of the battlefield is going to trade up, if not, you know, just make it through and get in for a million damage. Plus, you can just give this thing first strike instead if they like just try to chump or, or gang up block on this. This is a really scary attacker. I like it. Yeah, this archetype is already feeling very like you definitely want to be attacking before you cast anything because you know it's going to uh th these activation costs are not cheap per se right like to use both of these you you have to hold up seven mana and so even just to, to th threaten activation you need to have that mana up 
So you're going to want to be swinging in before you're doing anything. Uh, but yeah, this is a really powerful attacker. I'm excited to see this thing do work. Next up, we've got Harvest Tide Infiltrator. I hate that there's two T's in Harvest Tide. Something about it just feels wrong, you know? It just looks kind of weird, right? It looks a little weird, yeah. I think so. Did you know that, Um, I saw this the other day, it's possible to use the word that six times in a row in the English language and it'd be grammatically correct. Oh, just like buffalo, 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 buffalo. I know that's another one, and I that one hurts my head, so I'm going to ignore it and keep talking <laughs> about magic. Two and a red for a 3-2 trample at common. It's a human werewolf, and it has day bound. And then the backside, 4-4. Four, four. Also has trample. All right, our next one here is Hound Tamer. This is two and a green for a 3-3 human werewolf at uncommon. It has trample, and it also has an activated ability of three and a green. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature, and it's day bound. It transforms into a 4-4 four, four with trample. Other wolves and werewolves you control have trample, and then it has that three and a green, put a one, one counter on target creature effect as well. I love this. This is the perfect thing to do once you've passed the turn to flip your werewolves, right? It makes sure you use all your mana effectively. It's a little bit telegraphed, but there's some chunky instants and flash stuff in the set that your opponent will have to respect. And then, you know, if you just end up activating this, putting on one counter on something is worth three-ish mana. So you're not overpaying by too much. Yeah, it's nice. Like each of these can target themselves with it. So if mm. if you your opponent's trying to eat it with a 4-4, four, four, your 3-3 three, three can block it or attack into it pretty nicely. But again, it's just one of those activated ability things. Like you can just threaten activation with this and you don't ever have to put the mana into it. It's just there. We shouldn't sleep or a, a, I don't know, is that a day-night joke? I guess not. We shouldn't sleep on the trample ability though. Saying that other wolves and werewolves you control have trample. This means that you're, you're like 6-6 six, six, uh, werewolf at common, which does exist, can't be chump blocked. Uh, those little human tokens in green white are not going to be very <laughs> effective if you've got one of these things out. Yeah, that's pretty huge. Last but not least, we've got Howl of the Hunt. This is two and a green for an aura. It has flash. It has enchant creature. When it enters the battlefield, if an enchanted creature is a wolf or a werewolf, untap that creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has vigilance. All right. I usually hate this kind of card. I mean, we've seen these before. This was always my top pick for like worst bad card to lose to. I cannot stand effects like this, but I have to respect that it's probably decent in this specific set because you're looking for things to cast at instant speed. You're looking to get your werewolves into combat. These things can tussle. Like we saw one that could give itself first strike. These things have trample. Like these things are, are already ready to go for combat. So the ability to give plus two, plus two and vigilance and untap it, this means you can ambush something or potentially use this as a, as a pump spell that sticks around. I guess it's probably worth taking a look at. I would never play more than one, but I suppose you can put one in the deck and <laughs> maybe it'll be pretty good. Yeah, it's also worth mentioning that the untamed pup, that werewolf we were looking at before, is like one of the perfect mana sinks for that sort of thing because the effect doesn't care about like combat or anything you know we saw the the red one the fangblade eviscerator made creatures you control get plus two plus oh until end of turn that's one you're really only doing if you're attacking with it but the hound tamer and untamed pup are perfect to just pass the turn with and turn it into night and then just get your counter value all right our next archetype here is green white and we're calling this one midsummer our first uncommon here is Dawnheart Wardens. This is one green white for a human warlock at uncommon. It's a 3-3 with Vigilance, and it has Coven. And Coven is one of those uh, sort of keyword abilities that means it checks for something. And in this case, it checks for, at the beginning of combat, on your turn, if you have control three or more creatures with different powers, do a thing. And this card says creatures you control get plus one, plus oh until end of turn. Hmm. Nice. So another seemingly go-wide sort of strategy here. 
Yeah, this uh, this deck has some cards that can make multiple creatures. There's a common white four drop and an uncommon we're going to talk about in just a second. And these are all pretty good at making, you know, creatures with different powers already. And then there's a bit of a counter sub theme here where you're able to spread around counters and decide what creatures to put them on to kind of guarantee that you're going to get those two different powers. I don't think it's going to be hard to get Coven. I mean, there's a handful of board wipes in this set, of course, all at higher rarities. But I think, assuming this is balanced with some of the beefier werewolves we've seen, I think the humans will be able to tussle. I think this will actually be able to uh, to go off. Now, of course, this is just a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three Vigilance on its own, so I'm putting this in pretty much every green-white deck. Yeah, our next uncommon here is Join the Dance. This is green-white for a sorcery at uncommon. It says create two 1-1 white human creature tokens, and has flashback for three green-white. Yeah, not a great rate on that flashback, is it? Yikes. No, not at all. But I guess it's just upside. I mean, two mana for two tokens is, is kind of the going rate, right? Yeah, I think you're fine to pay that, especially in a deck that cares about having them and can do silly things with them. I'm surprised, though, at that flashback cost. I wonder if they tested it at four and it was just, like, way too much. It's a good sign. Yeah, I guess so. Pretty typical human tribe of Innistrad here with, with this new... Obviously, relatively interesting mechanic. I'm going to be really paying attention to how often you're going to be able to actually turn this on, how easy it is to get cards with different powers like that, and especially doing so like on curve. My, you know, for, for Dawnheart Wardens, it is at the beginning of combat, so you kind of have until turn... Well, I guess it, it'll activate. It doesn't have to attack, so it can activate on the turn it's played, but like you really need to go one mana, one, one, or, or O, X, or whatever, two mana one or two or whatever so it's a little bit tricky to trigger we're curious to see how often that comes together but our first green card here for this archetype is Dawnheart mentor this is two and a green for a human warlock at uncommon it's a zero four so three mana zero four at uncommon when it enters the battlefield create a one one white human creature token and then it has coven for five and a green so you activate this ability and it says target creature you control gains plus three plus three and trample until end of turn and then activate only if you control three or more creatures with different powers. I mean, this gets you a good way to coven, right? Yeah, I mean, it does get you two creatures with different powers, so you only need one other creature to get there, yeah. The thing is, this is a weird card, right? Because it, it's like, it does so much work to get you to coven, but you still have to wait like three turns to actually use the ability. Yeah, that's true. This is a more defensive card, and Dawnheart Wardens is not defensive at all. No. I wonder if you're supposed to put counters on this and turn it into like a 3-7. Could be, could be. Um, it's just a little interesting that it does so much work to set up Coven and then makes you wait to actually use it. Yeah. You know, how how often does your 0-4 or 1-1 one, one make it to turn 6 if you play this on curve? Like, probably not very often. Mm. So This is also an interesting threat of activation here. I mean, I feel like this one is strong if you happen to have a million tokens and you just send in with like 3 or 4 little 1-1s. One, Makes blocking a little bit awkward because, I mean, one of them is going to get through as a 4-4 trample. But even then, it's just a 4-4 trample. You know, this, the power level on this one is not great, but it, if you're looking to get Coven, this will pretty much get you there instantly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Our next card here is Might of the Old Ways. This is one and a green for an instant at common. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And then if you control creatures with three or more different powers, uh, draw a card. Yeah, seems, seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah, Green-White has some pretty solid combat tricks this time around. Might of the Old Ways and one of our next cards. I think these are going to allow the humans to, I guess, survive combat <laughs> when when tussling with some of the scarier threats that Innistrad has to offer. 
Plus, I mean, if you're drawing a card on this every time, that's a really good combat trick. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, one thing I would be curious is, and I don't, I had, I don't know this offhand, but the coven trigger that happens when the effect resolves, right? So if this goes on the stack and you have three creatures, each of which have different powers, and they kill one of them, you're not drawing your card. Yeah, I don't think so. Although you do get to pick what creature you target with it, so <laughs> you can you can kind of work around. Uh, I guess they can always just kill your target. Yeah, I mean. That's something to to look out for. If this is this is a card, this is an effect that resolves after the the first line there. So this can really get swept out from under you. I'm I don't know that I'm actually a big fan of this card. Our next card here is Gavany Silversmith. This is three and a white for a two three human soldier at common. When Gavany Silversmith enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Okay, yeah, that's there's your there's it. your way to generate different powers and get those counters going. Bazri's Acolyte is back, and now it can put counters on itself, which is pretty good. This means even if this is a late-game top deck and you have nothing else, you can just put a counter on it, and maybe if you had a 1-1 token land around that survived. I don't know, this is really good. It pretty much, again, guarantees you Coven. It makes sure that you can just slide some counters around to the, the people that need them, make sure you get your triggers. Now, it's a little strange because you don't always necessarily want three creatures with three different powers. I can certainly think of limited situations where you want to get maybe two or three four fours to attack over a beefy blocker that your opponent had. They're, they're sitting behind like a three four and uh, or they have like a, a four four ready to trade. And then your deck is kind of naturally asking you to be like, oh, well, you should put a counter on that zero two such that you can get the coven triggers. And then the Coven Triggers might not necessarily do much for you at that moment. I don't know. I, I don't be afraid to not get Coven <laughs> with Gavany Silversmith. Still just treat it like a good green-white humans with, and tokens and, and counters deck. Just go wide with green-white. Also, Bastry's Al- Acolyte. There you go. That's a card from M21. Oh, I gave it away. <laughs> Our next card here is Flare of Faith. This is one in a white for an instant at common. It says target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If it's a human, instead it gets plus three, plus three, and gains indestructible until end of turn. Sure, it's a two mana trick that is just way better for humans. Next up, we've got Black White, and we're calling this Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mostly because of our first buddy here, Flesh Taker, who is white black for a 2-2 human assassin. It says, whenever you sacrifice another creature, you gain one life and scry one. And it also has, pay one, sacrifice another creature, Flesh Taker gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Yikes. Well, Nantuko Husk, this is not. But I loved it when this card was spoiled and everybody online was like, oh, that's a cute Minotaur. Wait a second. <laughs> wrong plane yeah but anyway this card looks good yeah clearly you're doing black white sack right this has been a pretty traditional Innistrad archetype and it looks like we're going pretty deep in this vector because our next thing is black white for a sorcery it's called right of oblivion it says as an additional cost to cast a spell sacrifice a non-land permanent the effect exile target non-land permanent so this is unconditional removal. All you have to do is sack something, like a little a 1-1 a one, one human or a 2-2 two, two decayed zombie, and it gets better. You can flash it back for two white-black. That's two unconditional exile spells. What? That's really good. And they're both, like, pretty much above rate. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is... You're paying average of three mana over the course of both of them, right? 
So look for ways to make tokens. Look for disturbed creatures because you can sack them and then sack them again if you recast them later. Eaten Alive, again, goes up in value here because you're sacrificing things. And then if you cast Eaten Alive, Flesh Checker will trigger its first ability. You get to gain a life and scry one. And when you're scrying that much, it helps you find more sacrifice fodder or more sacrifice outlets or whatever it is that you need for your deck to, to keep ticking. Uh, also look for recursion, such as Crawl from the Cellar, which is one black for a sorcery. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target zombie you control. You can flash it back for three and a black. That's a really good rate for a raise dead. And then if you're also putting a counter on it, and then you're also able to flash it back, I mean, if this is a slow enough format and you don't really care how much mana you're paying for it, this is just really, really good value, especially in a sacrifice deck that's already playing high-value sacrifice fodder. Next up, we have Ghoulish Procession. That's one of the black for an enchantment at Uncommon. Whenever one or more non-token creatures die, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. This ability triggers only once each turn, which is unfortunate, but with instant speed sacrifice outlets, such as our buddy Flesh Taker, uh, you can really make the most of this card. I mean, just think, this pairs so well with Flesh Taker. That's one of the scariest turn two and a turn threes you can imagine, right? Because then sacrificing anything, maybe if you played a one drop, you could even do it on turn three. You're just going to get a decayed zombie, which can then fuel the Flesh Taker again. I guess he doesn't mind taking zombie flesh. Kind of gross, though. Yeah, our next card here is Clarion Cathars. This is three and a white for a human knight at common. It's a three, three, and when it ETBs, create a one, one white human creature token. Yeah, I mean, four mana, four, four over two bodies. Totally, totally fine. Yep. This will go in pretty much every white deck, so I think the sack decks can take this higher than normal. The Coven decks will want it too, because again, it makes two creatures that get you most of the way to Coven. We've got Chaplain of Arms here, and the first side of it, dinky little 1-1. One, one. It's one white for a 1-1 one, one human cleric at Uncommon. It has First Strike and Ward 1, and Disturb for a 3 and a white. And on the back, it's a 2-1 flying First Strike, and says each creature you control has Ward 1, and then the Exile Clause. Again, this is a little 1-1, one, one, just like I was talking about. You could sacrifice this because it's kind of cheap on the first half. Not as cheap on the back half, but this is a 1-mana one 1-1 one, one that can get in, do some actual protection. I mean, giving all your stuff word 1 on the back is a, a pretty real reason to keep it around. But the first side, I mean, eventually a 1-1 one, one first strike will get outclassed, right? Uh, even the word 1, like... <laughs> is that flavor text? I mean, who, who, puts a, who aims a spell at a 1-mana one 1-1? One, one? Yeah, that is a little bit silly. It Yeah, I, I don't really know why that's even there in the first place, but I, it's nice flavor for what's coming with the backside. And last but not least here, we have Unruly Mob, another reprint. This is one and a white for a 1-1 one, one human at common. Whenever another creature you control dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on Unruly Mob. I don't recommend sacrificing this one. Uh, have it sit around and get angrier and angrier over time as you consider all the other stuff that has been sacrificed. And then eventually this thing will attack as like a 4-4 four, four or a 5-5. Five, five and you paid two mana for it. Great common. On to Black Green, or as we are calling it, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Such a good movie. Oh my god, I gotta rewatch it before Halloween. Our first signpost on common here is Diagraph Rebirth. This is three Black Green for a sorcery at Uncommon. The spell costs one less to cast for each creature that died this turn. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it has flashback for five Black Green. So this is interesting. This is a card that clearly cares about having tokens that you can throw away. Maybe a bunch of decayed stuff that can kill themselves after they attack. That's a good way to get this to be cheap. And then it's a raised dead right to the battlefield. It does only target your own graveyard. So that's a little unfortunate. But given that this can cost two mana both times, it seems reasonable. <laughs> 
Yeah. This is sometimes going to be better than Unburial Rites, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a limited beast. So now it does take some work. If you're paying full price for this both times, it, that, that takes, uh, that's a lot you of matter. You better have a nice creature to get back. Yeah. This obviously goes up if you have, you know, better cards in your deck. <laughs> the better value your creatures are and the better their ETBs, the more uh, you want this. And I mean, there's other stuff that's going to be dying. Like it's Innistrad, stuff's going to die. We were just talking about black, white sacrifice, right? So maybe your opponent sacked something on the, of their own during combat or they, they pointed a removal spell at one of your attackers. So this, I think it's going to be pretty sweet if it works. I mean, I, I'm certainly excited to try it. Yeah, that's true. It's worth mentioning. This, this does count creatures that died under your opponent's control. It doesn't only care about your own stuff. So keep that in mind as well. Our next uncommon here, signpost uncommon, is Grizzly Ghoul. This is two black green for a zombie bear at uncommon. It's a 4-3 with trample, and when it enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each creature that died this turn. So again, it cares about the number of things that died this turn, which is a little weird. Now, we found out from last set in AFR that uh, that five mana, or sorry, that two mana 5-3 flash that can only ETB if a creature had died this turn, not always the best. Sometimes you would go several turns and you just couldn't cast it. So don't expect your, your grizzly ghoul to always be like a like a six five or something. But, you know, when it works, it's going to be big. Uh, and I think, I don't know, people are going to start playing around this eventually. I'm certainly going to start playing around this as fast as possible. If I see my black green opponent didn't play anything in main one and it looks like they have got around four mana, I'm going to be a little suspicious of having a bunch of stuff die this turn or at least make sure I can remove it if I have to. I mean, when this works, they're going to be big plays, though. Yeah, you know what AFR didn't have, though? What's that? Decayed tokens. Yeah, that's true. Those things, uh, I mean, if you can get four of them and then swing them all at once, they're all dying at the end of the turn, right? Exactly. Whether it's through combat or them just offing themselves after they've done damage or being blocked or trading or whatever. I guess maybe this is the deck that wants to swing with a bunch of zombies and then have them all disappear at once and then, you know, reap the rewards. Yeah, like imagine Grizzly Ghoul's actually your top end. And you just have like a mm. bunch of really cheap stuff that makes decayed tokens. And then you just swing with like 10 of them at once or six of them at once or something. And then suddenly you have a 10, whatever, 10, nine, just with trample facing you down. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. that's scary. Uh, the bear. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's a good horror movie that's got a bear? I, I don't know. I don't think the Revenant one was undead. I think I don't know. The Revenant's not a horror movie. <laughs> Remnant's yeah, movie. I'm just trying to think of there's not too many movies with bears anymore. It, it, bears were big in like 2003 when the movies were all about dogs finding their way home and the bear would be like the villain because they needed to shoehorn something in. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about Morbid Opportunist. That's two and a black for a 1-3 human rogue at Uncommon. Whenever one or more other creatures die, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn, which should suggest that things are going to be dying pretty quickly or would, they wouldn't have had to put that clause on there. I think this is going to be good in both the black-white deck and the black-green deck, and honestly, any black deck. I mean, it's Innistrad. Stuff dies. Next up is Vengeful Strangler. This is a weird one. Uh, it's one of the black for a 2-1 human rogue at Uncommon that can't block. When it dies, return it to the battlefield transformed under your control, attached to target creature or planeswalker an opponent controls. The backside says, enchant creature or planeswalker an opponent controls. At the beginning of your upkeep, enchanted permanence controller sacrifices a non-land permanent and loses one life. Huh. What? <laughs> Interesting. So it's a two mana two one that can't block. So it's just getting in. Mm -hmm. like, and then when it dies, it's sideways. forcing 
It's forcing your opponent to sack non-lands and also draining them. I actually think this is pretty strong, right? Like, what what's the absolute worst case that this card ever does? It's a two-mana 2-1 two that just keeps getting in for two damage. Yeah. yeah. That's that's fine. You need their life total to hit zero at some point. That's that's going to do it <laughs> that's the goal. eventually. And then eventually they're going to either have to block it, and that might just mean they, they eat it, right? Like, it might not trade for anything. But then they're going to have to start sacking their board. Yeah, isn't this a guaranteed one-for-one one that's going to get in damage, too? Basically, yeah. And it's not like Wither Crown where they can just sack the enchantment. Like, they don't get a choice here. Yeah, so they can So they can sacrifice something else. It's Enchanted Permanence Controller sacrifices a non-land permanent and loses one life. So right. they're always losing a life. That's good. If they have tokens, they can sack the tokens and lose the life and keep the thing that they have, right? But... I mean, you'll put this probably on their best thing. It'll be a good creature, maybe their grizzly ghoul or whatever, or like a planeswalker, which it can't actually hit. And they're going to eventually just, you know, lose their board and lose life as they're doing it. It's they sacrifice other stuff or can they sacrifice anything that's not land? Uh, they can sacrifice, it says sacrifice is a non-land permanent and loses one life. So, yeah, so I mean, really they just sack the thing you put this on and yeah. get it over with unless they have like you said a bunch of random co tokens lying around that they don't actually need so this does i mean you're gonna get your one for one out of this and potentially more and some damage and it dies which is why i think it kind of fits with this deck i like it yeah it seems interesting i think uh the fact that they're gonna be a ton of decayed tokens floating around that you're pretty much happy to just sacrifice and there are a couple of decks that mm. really care about sacrificing things this card might actually not, like, I, I think it might go down for me, but it seems pretty sweet, and I'm excited to give it a go. Next up, we've got Shadow Beast Sighting. Uh, I love that it's doing the the pose of the, the famous Bigfoot picture. <laughs> anyway, uh, three and a green, a 4-4 four, four beast token. Oh, it's a sorcery. Yeah, so you, it's a four mana sorcery. You get a beast. It's a 4-4. Four, four, it's green. And you can flash it back for six and a green. This is a lot like uh, Voracious Typhon, the, the mm -hmm. one from from Theros, except you can't keep doing it over and over again, and it's smaller the second time around. But hey, it's two 4-4s. Four takes a lot of mana, but 4-4s. Four <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I think you'll see this in your decks. Doesn't really fit into the werewolf one. Obviously, it's a sorcery, so not really doing what you want there, but yeah, it seems seems fine here. I feel like this one's going to fit pretty well into, uh, into blue-green as well, especially because it's a, a sorcery and it has flashback. Next up is Broodweaver. Three and a, and a green for a 2-4 spider at Uncommon. It has reach, of course. And when it dies, create a 1-2 green spider creature token with reach. Did, wasn't there Penumbra spider? Wasn't that a 2-4 that died into a 2-4? It, it, it yeah. just felt dumb. I guess this is the little, little baby cousin. They had to fix it for limited. But, I mean, it's Uncommon and it has reach. This thing can actually get in front of spirits really well. And if they manage to kill it, a 1-2 can also get in front of spirits really well. It'll trade, but... You know, th this seems like a spirit killer. I like it, but uh, I think I know how you feel. All right, so next up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Our next uh, ar archetype here is green blue, or as we're calling it, the ritual. And our first signpost uncommon here is root coil creeper. It's green blue for a 2-2 plant horror at uncommon. It says tap, add one mana of any color, or tap, add two mana of any one color, spend this mana only to cast spells from your graveyard, or green blue, tap, exile it, return target card with flashback you own from exile to your hand. That's a lot of stuff. Here's the thing. Okay, so obviously it's a mana dork. 
it taps that one man of any color, but it's it, that's a phrase we don't see very often anymore, mm. especially not yeah. on something that's uncommon or lower. So this is serious fixing. Expect to see some of the like three color decks be base blue green would be my mm. guess. Second part ramps it like that ramps you into your flashback spells, which is pretty great. And the third part, you know, at first I read that and I was like, oh, cool. It gets you another cast on one of your flashback stuff. It really gets you two more casts yeah. on your flashback <laughs> stuff. This is, I mean, the worst part about a mana dork is that eventually it gets outclassed and you don't need the mana from it anymore. This one just goes and gets you something else. I mean, and it goes and gets you another thing too because you're getting a card that's an intrinsic two for one. This card is sick and it's a two mana two two. like what yeah this card is pushed a good thing they haven't been doing that with any other blue green cards anytime recently ever wizards never learns next up is winterthorn blessing and it's actually the card that inspired uh the name the ritual because if you've seen the ritual the the art on this definitely resembles our 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 buddy the the beast from the ritual Uh, but it's blue green for a sorcery at uncommon put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature you control Tap up to one target creature you don't control, and that creature doesn't untap during that controller's next untap step. So you kind of, I don't know, you make one of your dudes into a Frost Links. Yeah. It also yeah, has flashback cool. for one green-blue, and, you know, you're getting a counter out of this too. Really good. Sure. Yeah, I'm totally, totally down for it. This does seem to be the flashback deck, right? This is the deck that's going to care the most about the flashback cards, so look to see those in green and in blue. And obviously, Root Coil Creeper... Dawnheart Rejuvenator, they tap for mana of any color, so are poised to kind of curve into those flashback cards, those disturbed cards, as well as Splash. Maybe we've got some five-color graveyard nonsense coming up. Maybe. Who knows? I have a glorious vision of a five-color, blue-green base, self-mill, flashback, disturbed deck that plays all the bombs because it has all the fixing. And then uh, you're, self, you're like turbo self-milling so that you get to just play the best of all the best flashback cards. And then when your opponent starts to be like, oh, they're going to mill themselves out, they flew too close to the sun, you counter one of their spells, or potentially one of your own, depending on how nuts you are, with the four mana card that shuffles stuff back from your graveyard into your library. And if you have two copies of that card, you cannot mill out. So, well, actually, unless you happen to to mill one of the copies don't do that don't don't fly too close to the sun i don't know i think it could happen yeah we'll see eccentric farmer here is our first green card it's two and a green for a two three human peasant at common when it enters the battlefield mill three cards then you may return a land card from your graveyard to your hand so it's doing the self mill thing but giving you a little bit of value back our next card here is Rise of the Ants. That's four green green for a sorcery at uncommon it says create two three three green insect creature tokens you gain two life, and it has flashback for six green green. What is the art on this? It's just giant ants. Are they actually giant? I can't quite... Yeah, I guess they are. The one in the background is like on top of a building. Yeah, they <laughs> definitely are giant. Uh, I love these. I mean, these ants can tussle with werewolves. They're three threes. These are real cards. Wasn't... I think there was something called like a... It's not Bonded Horn Crest. It was another one. There was a there was a card back in one of the Ixalan sets. It's like five mana, and it made two three threes, and it was really good. This is sometimes just going to be better for your deck than that. Like the fact that you can flash it back as well. I mean, if you wind up with 12 total power and toughness and gaining four life from this, you need a lot of time and a lot of mana, but the life helps and two three threes help get you there. 
Yeah, our next card here is into blue. This is Covetous Castaway. This is one and a blue for a 1-3 human at Uncommon. When it dies, mill three cards, and it has Disturb for three blue-blue. And when you cast it for the Disturb cost, it becomes Ghostly Castigator, which is a spirit. It's a 3-4 with flying, and when it ETBs, you may shuffle up to three target cards from your graveyard into your library. So this will do it, too. I see what's happening here. They're giving us the tools. It, it's going to happen. Calling it now. Five-color graveyard self-mill shuffle stuff back in no win con control deck whatever you want to call it i mean this is a win con it's a three four flyer yeah uh it's this is my kind of deck i'm excited for this our last blue card here is devious cover up this was the one you mentioned this is actually a reprint it's two and a blue two blue blue for an instant at common to counter target spell if that spell is countered this way exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard and you may shuffle up to four target cards from your graveyard to your library funny art and flavor too on this one but we'll save that for the flavor town Next up, we've got blue-red, which we are calling Frankenstein. Now, we've done a lot of blue-red stuff before. You know, it spells. Uh, so our first card up here is Storm Skrelix. I didn't know we had Drakes. I guess there's, yeah, there's like Stitch Drakes. Okay, that makes sense. But this one, oh, I don't know. This one's been through something. Three blue-red for a 2-4 Drake Horror with flying. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Storm Skrelix gets plus two plus O oh until end of turn. So just thinking through the set, there's a blue instant that draws you a card uh, and it like makes a token, gives something minus something. There is a uh, red instant we talked about earlier, the, the vampire one that pings and draws a card. I don't know. Is this a, a storm payoff? Are you trying to, you know, just make this thing into like an eight four and, and kill them in one shot? It is called Storm Skrelix. It certainly helps that the, the instant and sorcery is cast one cost one less to cast. Our next card here is Arcane Infusion. This is blue-red for an instant. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. It has flashback for three blue-red. I like flashback cards in this deck because they kind of naturally give you two casts of instants and sorceries. And I don't know, this deck seems to really care about that. The red uncommons seem particularly good in this archetype. There's Thermo Alchemist, which is a reprint at Uncommon, which should be a big indicator. There's a Werewolf that gets pumped, plus one, plus one on the front side, and plus two, plus two on the back side. There's an Elemental Maker, the, the Uncommon. Actually, let, let, let's just talk about that now. That one is Seize the Storm. Four and a red for a sorcery at Uncommon. Create a red Elemental Creature Token with Trample, and this creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard, plus the number of cards of flashback you own in exile. And it has flashback for six and a red. I don't know. That was a lot of stuff there. So first of all, Arcane Infusion pairs very naturally well with this card. You can get a pretty high spell density, and Arcane Infusion can help you sort through and find the ones that you need. Seize the Storm lets you get rewarded for all those instants and sorceries and cantrips and whatnot that you've been casting. And, you know, actually uh, lets you create a board presence off of all that spell slinging. I mean, if this is like a 4-4, four, 5-5, four, five, five, six, six trample, it's pretty good. Oh, and wait a minute. It's uh, it's constantly updating, right? W won't this thing uh, continue to check for its power and toughness regularly? It doesn't just yep. make it because the creature token itself has the ability. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. It might even be good enough to make me play a deck like this. Although tracking all those cards and instants and sorceries all over the place. Doesn't that sound like a ton of fun? I'd rather just have stuff die and like turn creatures sideways. I can't wait for werewolves. That's my, my deck of choice right now. Anyway, our first card up here is Festival Crasher. 
Uh, this is one in a red for a 1-3 Devil at common. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn. Wait a minute, that's pretty good. Yeah, that seems that seems solid. This can easily attack as a 3-3, uh, or at least threaten to attack as a 3-3. And this feels really tough to block. I mean, if you happen to have two instants in your hand, I mean, if, even if one of them is a combat strike and you can buff this, there's, uh, there's one that gives first strike in the set. This is a spooky attacker to see on turn two. We want to mention Neonate's Rush again. That's, uh, again, the instant. It cycles itself, uh, deals one to a creature and to a player, because, again, it's going to be pretty useful to have uh, a handful of those in this deck. Just so you can cast instants and sorceries, but also keep your hand fully stocked. Uh, we wanted to mention Startle as well. That's kind of the blue version. It's one of the blue for an instant at common. Target creature gets minus two, minus O until end of turn. Create a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token with Decayed. Draw a card. We just had this card in AFR, and it wasn't very impressive. But now we're getting a token out of the deal. And I don't know, maybe uh, with the Spellslinger support in this deck, we'll have a, a slightly stronger vector than Blue Red had in AFR, which admittedly was a bit of a flop. Next up, we've got Unblinking Observer, one of the blue for a 2-1 homunculus. And it's a common. You can tap to add blue. Spend this mana only to pay a Disturb cost or cast an instant or sorcery spell. I like this more than most mana dorks in blue because instead of being like a 0-2 or a 0-3, this is a 2-1. Like this can actually tussle. This can, I mean, eventually trade for a decayed token if you have to, or it can just be a little attacker, and then when you need it to cast an instant or sorcery, you can. Kind of neat that it also can cast disturb stuff too. Yeah, I was, this immediately made me think of Curious Homunculus from Shadows mm. of Rinistrad. Yeah, right, right. I love the hum homunculi. Yeah. All right, our next archetype here is Red-White. We're calling this one Shaun of the Dead. And our first signpost on common here is Sunrise Cavalier. This is white, one red-white for a 3-3 three, three human knight with trample haste at uncommon. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as Sunrise Cavalier enters the battlefield. Whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. So I had a little bit of a blunder with this one in the Discord too. Look, it's a complicated mechanic. At first, I thought this just ended the battlefield as a 3-mana 4-4 Trample Haste. But that was slightly too good. <laughs> yeah, not, not quite what it's doing, but it's relatively close to that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's going to track those day-night changes, so definitely a, a deck that's going to care about that. Our second signpost uncommon here is Sacred Fire. This is red-white for an instant at uncommon. Sacred Fire deals 2 damage to any target, and you gain 2 life. Flashback for red-white. Lightning Helix, anybody? Or a shock helix? <laughs> Shockning. Yeah. If anyone's wondering, uh, I picked Shaun of the Dead for this one because, I don't know, Shaun of the Dead is just a bunch of people running around just beating up zombies in hilarious fashion. And that that seems like what Red White's up to. <laughs> the, the This is the zombie killer archetype and potentially werewolf killer too. I don't know. These people are doing a lot of killing and they're doing it with style. But look at Sunrise Cavalier. That's pretty fantastic art. Yeah, very Borosy feeling. Far more Borosy than uh, Innistrad feeling, for sure. So, I mean, this this deck has access to some of the white stuff, like humans and tokens, uh, but it also has access to the whole Daybreak thing that, that Red is doing. So this can lead to some pretty unique games, especially against werewolf decks. It depends kind of on the composition of your deck, if you're going to be able to interact productively with the werewolf nonsense, or if you're going to have more, you know, tiny dorky creatures. But, I mean, this deck can turn stuff sideways, too. This deck can kind of go underneath some of these other things. W what have we got? Yes, yeah, so our first red card here is Brimstone Vandal. This is two and a red for a 
2-3 Devil at Common, it has Menace, so a 3-mana 2-3 Menace. We would probably be playing that, right? That's that's fine, so it's passable. But it also has a couple more effects. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as Brimstone Vandal enters the battlefield. And when day becomes night or night becomes day, it deals one damage to each opponent. So that's pretty fine. I mean, it's just a little pinger, so it's not like the huge payoff for the day-night or daybreak thing, as you, as we could call it. it. does hit each opponent, so look for that in your two-headed giant games. But otherwise, this is fine. I mean, it's still a three-mana 2-3 two, three with Menace. A lot of three-mana 2-3s in the set. I don't really know what that means about the speed of the format. Like three meta two threes don't attack into each other very well, but they also don't always block each other very well. No, but they block decayed tokens quite nicely. Our next red card here is Village Watch. This is four and a red for a human werewolf at uncommon. It's a four three with haste and it's daybound. And it flips into Village Reavers. This is a five four and it gives your wolves and werewolves haste. Scary. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting though because most of your werewolves are going to flip into werewolves. They don't, they're not cast as werewolves. So it's going to be interesting to see how much that actually matters. Well, I mean, a lot of them have like human werewolf on the front side. Oh, that's so true. That's true. Actually, right, if they, if they enter the battlefield while it's night, they just enter on the backside, right? Isn't that one of the biggest changes from yeah. this new thing? Yeah. So that, that's, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, also it's, I mean, it's a little small on the front. The fact that it's a five mana four, three, like you don't want to, it does have haste, but you don't want to attack that into a 3-3. Three, three. Like that, right. that just doesn't work that well. This one really benefits from it being night. Our next card here is Gavany Dawnguard. This is one white white for a 3-3 three, three human soldier at Uncommon. It has Ward 1. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as it ETBs. And whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card with mana value 3 or less from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Baby Coco. Mm. Sort of. <laughs> this is an awful lot of text for a white uncommon. And it's a three mana three three with ward one. And it almost sort of says draw a card. Is this what Morrow was talking about when he was like, there's a white card that can draw you a card every turn? Is this what he is this what he meant? <laughs> Probably. Uh I guess it could. It can draw you a card every turn. Uh, I suppose. It's white card advantage. We'll take what we can get. I mean, it's a three mana three three ward. Like, that's just good on its own. And what I like about these little cards that have this daybreak type thing, if it's neither night nor day, it kind of gets the ball rolling. I wish it made it day just all, all the time so that you could flip werewolves back over by doing this. But uh, that's a reason to be on the lookout for cheap cards, right? To make sure that, you know, you could play this, a three mana three three, and then maybe a two mana two two or something else to, to get the werewolves back on their more, uh, I don't know, tame side. And our last white card for this archetype is Audric's Outrider. This is three white for a 2-4 human knight at uncommon. Whenever Audric's Outrider or another creature you control dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. I wonder why they worded it this way instead of just saying whenever a creature you control dies. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, a good card, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Four mana, two, four that puts counters on things anytime you kill something. This is going to be interesting in the white-black deck as well. Now, our last uh, little section of cards here we wanted to go over, the colorless cards of the set. I'm calling this uh, The Shining. Do you want to take a wild guess as to why I'm calling it The Shining? Uh, I don't know. They're colorless. Oh, well, yeah. I, I was hoping you'd say, like, they're colorless. There's, like, knives. They tend to be the equipment or artifacts. Well, none of them have... There are no axes anywhere. But, yeah, I guess axes are typically equipment. Sure. You know, I hate to say it, but the real reason is much dumber than that. It's just because artifacts are shiny. <laughs> And uh, yes, I have watched The Shining. I know that's not the point, <laughs> but anyway, 
Uh, let's chat about a few artifacts real quick. Mystic Skull. This is two mana for an artifact. It's an uncommon. You can pay one, tap at one mana of any color. Or you can pay five, tap it, transform Mystic Skull. So just on the front half, are, are we getting our mana's value out of this? No, it's three mana to make one mana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh, okay. But hear me out. The backside is a 5-6. It's an artifact creature, Construct. Uh, and it says lands you control have tapped to add one mana of any color. Yeah, so here's here's your five color payoff, really. Or your five color enabler, I suppose. Um, it's a mana rock that you don't particularly like using on the front side. But yeah, once you flip it, you've got a beefy creature that's also making all of your lands fixing. Now, we've had cards like this, like Prophetic Prism, that kind of thing. But one of the reasons that those are so good is that they draw you the card on turn two, like when you play it, or like when you slip this thing in on turn three, when you play this in a one drop, or turn four, this in a two drop. They allow you to have that fixing and that extra card to maybe hit your third land drop or hit your fourth land drop, something crucial. This does draw you a card, kind of. It draws you a five mana five, six. But that's not always what you want from this, you know? So I'm a little suspicious of this one. If there is a five-color deck, you'll probably be able to pick up as many of these as you want. Uh, and then speaking of five-color fixing, Jack-O-Lantern, which, come on. Like, they finally, I mean, they blew the name, but it's on a pretty worthy card. So it's a one-mana artifact at common. You can pay one, tap, sack it, exile up to one target card from a graveyard, and draw a card. So right there, you just have a little bit of graveyard hate, two colorless mana, you exile a card from graveyard and draw a card. So you could side this in if your opponent maybe has like a, a bomb with Disturb or something. Or maybe they're trying to like reanimate. I don't know. I guess you can get Black Green Reanimator going. Uh, and you can also pay one, exile it from your graveyard, add one mana of any color. So a little bit of fixing there. A few other things to talk about. Uh, there's some nonsense in here. I, I wanted to talk about Stuffed Bear because it's really funny. Uh, but it's two mana for an artifact. You can pay two to make it into a 4-4 four, four green bear. Do not put this in your deck. Do not send us screenshots of this in your deck. Never put this in your deck. Hear me out. Just put a, a, a two mana 2-2 two, two in your deck. Or a four mana 4-4 four, four in your deck. No one will ever attack into this and let you like get them. I, I'm sorry. It just Magic just doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> this would have been All good right. 30 years ago. Clear candidate for the Draft Shaft Cube. All right. On to our top commons. Uh, we're going to kind of comb through our top three commons in each of the colors, and we will uh, we'll kind of just go through them. So our first first color here is white. We're going to mention Gavany Silversmith here. This is the four mana, two, three human soldier at common. When it ETBs, put a one, one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Obviously quite good. It's going to play well into the coven stuff, going to play well into the, all the go wide stuff going on. Yeah, seems seems super solid. Next up is Search Party Captain. We've got three and a white for a 2-2 human soldier at common. Costs one less to cast for each creature you attacked with this turn. And when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. What? What? It, it, did white get a, a Sorolf's Packmate? Is this real? And you can cast this for one mana, 2-2 two, two, ETV draw a card? What? Yeah. And in white black, like with decayed tokens floating around, like it's not going to be very hard to uh, just throw some creatures into combat that oh you don't care God. about dying. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, I'm excited to play with that one. And last is Candle Trap. One white for an aura. Enchanted creature has defender. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt by enchanted creature. And if you have coven, you can pay two and a white to exile that thing for good. 
So this is a weird one, uh, especially because there are ways to sacrifice creatures for value. It just kind of turns something into a permanent blocker. So it's really good for controlling decks, ones that want to make it in the late game. If you're trying to attack, this doesn't actually remove a blocker for you. It just kind of negates one. Like this will always just go in front of your biggest creature. Maybe it'll die, but if you put this on a big thing, uh, it's just still going to be able to sit around and block. It will prevent uh, the damage dealt by it, though. I don't know. Eventually, you'll have Coven. You can exile it. This does often function like a four-mana exile spell. So I think it's pretty good. Yeah, and, you know, we mentioned it before, but White has slim pickings for removal in this set. Yeah, you kind of have to take what you can get. All right, for Blue, we've got Organ Hoarder. This is three blue for a 3-2 zombie at common. When an ETBs, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them in your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So some good mill enabling and, well, it's basically an anticipate. Yeah, uh, kind of better because you dump the stuff in the graveyard, right? So this yeah. will let you find what you need. I undervalued it a little at first. I was thinking it's a 3-2, can't really block that well. You put four mana into this, but blue seems to be able to hunker down and, and I'm sure this will be fine. This just seems like solid card advantage and, uh, and selection on a pretty well-costed creature. Next, we have Revenge of the Drowned. This is three and a blue for an instant at common. Target creature's owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library. That's weird. You create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decay. The the trick there is that you target the, the player, not the creature, so it gets around, like, ward and stuff like that. But Oh, actually, no, you do target the creature. That's weird. I don't like the way that's worded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something about putting on top or bottom of libraries. I mean, we saw there's a bunch of tokens in the set. Maybe someone dumps like five one one counters on a human token. You can just get rid of that thing for good. Or the the four four beast. Just take care of that. I don't think you want to do this to a card that has been disturbed though, because then they'll get it back. They can recast it. Maybe get a little more value off of it. All that good stuff. Last but not least, here we got locked in the cemetery. This is one of the blue for an aura at common. When it enters the battlefield, if there are five or more cards in your graveyard, tap enchanted creature, and that creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Classic blue removal spell, but again, both this and Revenge of the Drowned are just, they're not the best removal spells. This one, again, has the same problem as Candle Trap, except this one has no way of getting rid of it forever. If you're doing this to a black deck, it might not actually hurt them that much. They might be totally okay, okay with it. Yeah, Locked in the Cemetery does get rid of a blocker, but yeah, I mean, it's your typical bubble snare sort of effect going on. So you might be asking yourself, we've gotten through two colors here and hardly seen solid removal where is it all well it's <laughs> it's basically all in black and with that we have a couple of cards here our first one is defenestrate this is two and a black for an instant destroy target creature without flying so you know pretty solid we haven't actually mentioned a ton of cards with flying but we do see a handful of them in blue so keep that in mind and then we have eaten alive it's black for a sorcery at common as an additional cost to cast this spell sack a creature or pay three and a black Exile target creature or planeswalker. So just complete unconditional removal, potentially for one mana. And again, when you have all those tokens floating around, it's going to be pretty easy to cast this for that. And our last black card here is Olivia's Midnight Ambush. This is one and a black for an instant at common. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. If it's night, that creature gets minus 13, minus 13 until end of turn instead. Well, uh, this is the Eyes of the Beholder we all wanted. <laughs> uh, actually playable Eyes of the Beholder. So uh, there was some discussion on Twitter about what the tier list for this is, what, what actually is the best. I would currently say that Olivia's Midnight Ambush probably the best because this functions as a combat trick as well as a removal spell. You can use this to shrink down a big werewolf and make it so that your creatures can double block it effectively or something like that. And every once in a while, it's going to be two mana just 
kill anything instantly even something that might not die this kills an indestructible creature and then the other two i think it might just depend defenestrate will always be good eaten alive it'll depend on how many tokens you can make now i did actually google this because i was curious because uh, i've never heard of the word defenestration before but according to dictionary online it is two things first the act of dismissing someone from a position of power or authority makes sense uh the second is the act of throwing someone out of a window <laughs> which i guess if you do one of them, you're doing the other definition, <laughs> by definition. So, Next up here, we've got Red. Red has one of the best removal spells in the set. Maybe one of the best commons in the set. Maybe the best common in the set. It's Moonrager Slash, which of course has been called Lightning Bolt. Because it's two and a red for an instant common. This spell costs two less to cast if it's night. Moonrager Slash deals three damage to any target. This can be a bolt if it's night. That's good. Yeah, That's fun. Up. And honestly, if it's day, the rate isn't that bad either. Next up is Ardent Elementalist. This is three and a red for a 2-1 human shaman at common. When it enters the battlefield, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Well, uh, I know what instant I want to get back with this. Give me more bolts. Yeah, yeah, seriously. But nothing more to say. <laughs> Last but not least, I'm calling this one a little bit of hot take. Famished Foragers. I really like this card. Four mana, four three. The one that ETBs if an opponent lost life, you add three red. And you can pay three to discard a card and draw a card. It's just a really good rate. I think sometimes you'll have the same kind of broken curve out you had with Arden Electromancer where uh, you would just, I mean, those ones you could chain like three of them in a turn. That was really fun. But this card, if you just play one of these in a three drop, you're pretty far ahead on board of your opponent. Yeah, that's super solid. And yeah, I think, like I said before, getting seven mana worth of, you know, creatures or whatever you can do with it uh, on turn four is going to be pretty ridiculous. All right, rounding out our last color here is green. We have Eccentric Farmer. That's the two and a green human peasant at common. It's a 2-3 ETB mill three cards, and then you can return a land from the graveyard to your hand. This is just going to be a solid enabler for any of the decks, especially blue-green, that care about getting those flashback cards in your graveyard and kind of churning through your deck a little bit. We also have the Shadow Beast Sighting, three and a green for that sorcery. It creates a 4-4 green beast creature token and flashback six and a green. And Duel for Dominance. This is one and a green for an instant at common with Coven. And if you have Coven, choose target creature you control and target creature you don't control. If you control three or more creatures with different powers, put a plus one, plus one counter on the chosen creature you control. So it's one of those punch spells, but, uh, you know, you uh, can beef your creature up. And I missed the last line there, but then the chosen creatures fight each other. So it's a fight spell, but you can pump your creature up. There is a, there is a punch spell in this format. I think it's a reprint. It might be called True Shot or Sure Shot or... Sure shot. It's something like that. That that one, it gets like plus one, plus one, and uh, it, it bites rather than fights. Now, I wanted to toss in an honorable mention here. Lowly Silver Bolt. We've seen a lot of cards that look like this in past formats. I think this might be the best of the bunch. It's one colorless for an artifact at common. It has pay three, tap, sack it. It deals three damage to target creature. If a werewolf is dealt damage this way, destroy it. Now, hear me out. We're looking for cheap spells that we can use to, like, flip werewolves back and forth, right? I mean, everyone's going to need those, whether you're playing werewolves or not. The werewolves, they want to flip them. Everybody else wants to flip them back. So I think this could be a really good tool to fight against werewolf decks, but I think it's actually just a better rate than we're used to seeing on these cards. Like, there's so many 2-3s in this format and small stuff. A lot of those 4-drops we were mentioning, like, even just now in, in our top commons, Famished Foragers dies to this. Ardent Elementalist dies to this. All these other random little cards die to this. Organ Hoarder dies to this. Uh, Gavany Silversmith, unless you put a counter on itself, dies to this. I mean, 
this seems pretty versatile in, in just sniping down a creature. Uh, and every once in a while, it's just going to kill a werewolf. So I, I've been treating this card like a three-mana deal three instant. You'd put that in every limited deck, right? Just three colors, deal three damage to a creature instant. Now, what if it said on it, uh, you have to wink at your opponent on turn one and say, I totally don't have it. Would you still play it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems, still seems pretty <laughs> solid. So now instead of winking at your opponent, you actually just play it on turn one. Then are you still playing it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, <laughs> I think this card looks great. It's going to be basically just a solid removal spell, and it fits in pretty much every deck, so. All right, well, that's it. That's our format breakdown. Um, our, the set seems great. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff going on here. The day-night thing is pretty cool, and it's going to be very tricky to finagle my way through for the first couple of drafts. I'm excited to learn that a little bit and uh i'm i'm pumped this set looks really really fun mm -hmm. yeah i'm excited uh and you know at some point during spoiler season and honestly just now i'm realizing again we get a whole nother innistrad set like yeah. soon yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get even more innistrad i, I love it uh, i'm in i am personally looking forward to werewolves the most i think uh, i i'm a big fan of werewolves i have like a casual werewolves deck uh that i guess could use some updating but anyway, I'm hoping to open some wolves uh, when it, during our pre-release this weekend. Well, you go ahead and play your red-green werewolves. I'll play some blue-white spirits, and we'll both be happy. <laughs> Except we're going to play no removal spells. <laughs> Red gets removal. Yeah, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll just put all the black removal out on the sideboard just to intimidate our opponents. There you go. All right, well, if you want to talk more about MTG Mid, uh, check, over, check out our Discord. You can find the link to that in our episode description as well as on the Twitter page. And if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. It really does keep us doing this, and it's been incredible to see all the support from you all. So thank you very, very much for your support. If you want to find us on social media, you can f find us on Twitter. You can find me at RanikGalfordian, Ben at Betafish1, and the podcast at draftchaffpod. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy MTG Mid, and we'll talk to you next week. See you, everybody. All right, last thing before we go. I expect some good pictures of pre-release pools. Uh, now, if you're going in Definitely. person, remember, uh, stay safe. Still a pandemic kind of happening, depending on where you're at. Uh, if you need a primer on doing stuff in person, check out the episode we did uh, with Chris of Past Left Drafts. So uh, that's going to be a fun time. And again, uh, send us your pictures of the pre-release pools. Hop in the Discord. And uh, just don't send it if it's better than our pools. We don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah, and if you want a, a written version of that episode, I wrote an article on it uh, for Cartsphere, so you can go.